Hey, it's David, and you're listening to the Tone Bass Classical Guitar Podcast. Don't mean for self-promotion, but I wanted to let you guys know, especially any LA listeners out there, that I'm giving my senior recital for my uh, studies at USC Thornton in a couple weeks on May 8th. And the concert's going to be at 8 p.m. at Art Chair LA, wonderful little art gallery with really neat stage and venue. Uh, right in the Arts District downtown near Little Tokyo. And the first half of the program is going to be a fun solo set, works of Kost, Tarega, Jobim, and David Russell's arrangement of Handel's keyboard suite with the infamous Pasacalia that we all love. The second half of the program is going to feature chamber works, uh, the Tedesco Fantasia for guitar and piano, sub cello and guitar duets of Villobis and Bartok. And then I'll also be giving my own interpretation of Electric Counterpoint. I've been having a blast over the past couple months recording and mixing all the parts uh, to be able to do this live performance. So anyway, if you happen to be in L.A., May 8th, 8 p.m., hope to see you at ArtShare L.A. Today, Gohar Vardanyan's joining me on the show. Wonderful player and really great teacher with a strong online presence, especially through Tonebase and other platforms. Before the interview, I wanted to play a really neat arrangement uh, that she made of Defia's La Vida Breve. This is a very popular tune. I'm sure many of you have already heard it. Very common to be heard as a guitar duo, but she pulls it off wonderfully as a solo transcription. So here is Defia's La Vida Breve.
teacher uh, with a great online presence, mm -hmm. especially you've done quite a few videos that I know are very popular on the tone-based platform. You mm -hmm. do videos with strings by mm -hmm. mail, and you've also written four books now with Mel yes. Bay? Yeah, it's four. Wow, mm -hmm. that's fantastic. When did yeah. you start getting into this side of teaching? I think it's sort of, um, it happened naturally. I When I graduated, you kind of just don't know what to do, you know, with yourself afterwards. And for me, a lot of it happened um, not necessarily by choice, not not to say that I didn't want to, but a lot of it had to do with my immigration status. Oh, okay. So like the whole entire thing when you just kind of get into a line of work. Um, I was on the F1 visa for like every international student and I needed to change it to the O1 visa so that I would be able to play concerts in this country. And eventually I had the intention of making this my permanent residence. Yeah. Um, so Strings by Mail, the, the current owner of Strings by Mail, John Wanch, you probably always see his uh, name signed on the bottom of all the new yeah, letters. Yeah. He used to be the Interlaken guitar teacher when I was at Interlaken. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So we had a, a more like personal relationship and they've done so much tremendous like help uh, in terms of my visas. So the idea was that because to apply for the visa, I needed some kind of employer. Mm -hmm. um, and we created this basically making instructional videos for their channel as a kind of work for, for oh, Strings by Mail. Oh, and that's then, fantastic. Yeah, and then I was also like on tour, like sponsored by Strings by Mail, and um, I was able to play concerts and build my portfolio so that eventually I'd be able to apply for all these visas. Oh, Yeah, wow. well, so we started with the... I, actually, the very, very initial idea was to, to test out strings. Like they would just send me a whole lot of strings and I would test them and make recordings of them. But we realized that's that's subjective. Like there's you have the the actual the recording quality, the guitar I'm using, the the kind of player I am. So that was our initial thing. That's that's what we were gonna do. We decided that instructional videos would be more more of like more useful and probably more practical. Yeah. Strict choices such yeah. a personal uh Yeah, exactly. Decision. Yeah and it's, it's, it's so, so many dependent. factors. I mean, I used to be an Alliance player with Sabres for years. Well, yeah, like years. 10 years I, I played on those years, strings, yeah. Yeah. I think I was on those for five or six years. So then I changed to a new guitar and mm -hmm. they just didn't work. You know, there's so I many different variables. I changed on the same guitar. I just kind of got sick of the carbon sound and yeah. I switched to the nylons. But You know, there is this amazing sustain and brilliance from carbon, mm -hmm. but there, there is some of that silky, warm tone that you just yeah. totally lose, no matter how hard you work with mm -hmm. it. So the teaching, I kind of fell into it. And um, with the videos, in terms of like the online teaching, because that's, I think, most what people see, except for my own private students. Yeah. Um, it was that. And then the books, again, um, we ended up writing the books, which really helped with the process for the immigration as well. But they started with articles. I wrote articles for the Mel Bay blog, which I don't know if it still is in existence. And those became popular. And based on those, since people were reading and like, hey, why don't you write a book? You know, so yeah. one book and then the next one, the first one was the, the uh, warm up, the complete warm up. That's like probably the most popular and the most practical one. Okay. So it kind of started like that. Um, it, was, it was something else. And then it turned into something bigger. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And so you've got the warm up book. Mm -hmm. You also have a crystal harmonics yes. titled book. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. Is ahead. that the first book? The very first on one on harmonics for the classical guitar. I don't know. Or? I I doubt it. I doubt it's the first one. But that was also based on an article. I the the article on how to play harmonics on the guitar was the most popular article they had. Like just I don't know how many readers oh, the really? views they had. So like hey, why don't you expand on it and make a book? And that one. It's nothing like scientific. I just, from a practical standpoint, I try to approach those books so that they're they're 
for a wider audience, you know, so it doesn't yeah. doesn't have anything scientific in it in terms of like all the frequencies and the overtones. It's just from experience of a classical guitarist trying to make a harmonic sound good. What do you do? So I made it into very simple terms, um, like what I'd like to see how they're written so that it's there's so many different ways of writing harmonics. So just from a practical standpoint. Yeah. Without, Did you go over all the different ways that they have been notated? As much as I could some, find. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's why it's not totally comprehensive or science-based or anything because there's only so much music that one can read in, in a Yeah. And I'm diversity. sure someone's writing a new way of... Uh, yeah, I'm sure. So it's from <laughs> the experience of just like... Pretty, I would. I just kind of picked what I think most people would have encountered. Yeah, you know, nothing yeah. too obscure, not obscure repertoire or anything. Just like from traditional repertoire of earlier twentieth century publications to now to like more computer, like Sibelius and Finale based publications, and there are all enough enough differences in there to, yeah. to you know to have the book filled up a little bit. It, it's so interesting. That was one of the most popular uh, blog posts for yeah. Melpe because I know um with Tone Base. Uh, the tuning video that Mersha mm-hmm. did is very popular. And I think it's, you know, for certain simple concepts like tuning or harmonics, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we we skip over those mm-hmm. in, in pedagogy. And yeah. yet they're and those so, are so important. Basic. They're yeah. so basic. With harmonics, I can see why it's confusing because you can get a pretty sound on a 12th fret and you take that somewhere else and it doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. Um, and then with tuning as well, now we kind of rely on the the automatic, the the mechanical tuners, which I I do as well. Not I don't really admit to it, but I have one attached on my guitar headstock. Um, but really tuning by ear, trying to find the the compensation you have to make for the guitar to sound. That's not something you learn in your first lesson, yeah. you know, because we're just like, hey, tune the guitar, turn on the snark, you know. Download the tuning app yeah, on your exactly. iPhone or Android. <laughs> yeah, um, but that's I can I can see why because. That, that video is very popular because you want to learn. And people tune differently as well. Yeah. I, I tune my first string as my, my source, my pitch source, and I tune everything to the first string. Yeah. People sometimes tune the fifth string and tune everything to the fifth string. So everyone has a different method they yeah. have developed over time. And then I know Roland uh, Dian's for certain pieces uh, that he wrote, he would actually uh, notate certain uh, chord progressions to uh-huh. arpeggiate before playing to make sure yeah. the kind of temperaments were settled. Mm-hmm. Or, so, man, he, he must have had quite a good ear for tuning. You would go crazy if you're me playing. Or <laughs> You have to adjust. And for a little while, I had intonation issues on my guitar. And no matter how I tuned, it was just the third string was off. And I have I've had it fixed last year. But that whole adjustment that everything's in tune according to the app. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually not in tune when you're playing. And you have to find a way to make it sound good in the key that you're playing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're playing on a... Remind me the name of your... It's a Canadian guitar, actually. It's a Jean Rompre. And I, I was seeing on your Facebook page that mm-hmm. it was the fifth year of you playing yeah, with this guitar. Yeah, this year will be sixth. Or like number I bought, six. Yeah, I got it at the GFA in Louisville in 2013. So And you just this, picked it up and fell in love with it. Yeah, you, yeah, I saw the, the I saw how pretty it looked. And I had no intentions of buying a guitar that year, but you know, sometimes you go in and without intentions and you walk out with, with a guitar. So um, <laughs> once I switched, that's the only guitar I've played. Yeah. So in July, it will be exactly six years. Oh, that's awesome. There is something when you pick up mm-hmm. the guitar for you, you know, it's a magical feeling. It has to match. Like yeah. 
I love it, but somebody else might play it and could be totally not to their taste because everyone likes a different sound. They play differently. Um, personally for me, for example, I played on a Smallman once, a, a modern Smallman, and I was playing on it and like it didn't sound like I would imagine it would because the way I play with, with rest stroke, with like pushing the guitar to its limit, sometimes good or bad, the Smallman didn't respond to that, that particular instrument. And then when I played like some Scarlatti and I kind of backed off, that's when that instrument sounded like an organ in my hands. But that's not how I usually play. Yeah. So for me to to play that guitar, I would have to change the way I play to make it sound good, at least that particular one. So you have to find what matches you, what matches your technique, your idea of the yeah. sound. Yeah, small ones, they do require this kind of... I, I'm not a fan of them myself. but uh, <laughs> It wasn't that, it was just it didn't work. They require yeah. a certain uh, touch to yeah. the strings, I guess, where it has to be very... Uh, Light in a sense, Light, yeah. and very. Uh, I, realized, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but very uh, calculated mm -hmm. in a sense. I realized playing a forte restroke scale did not work. It just did not sound pretty at all. Yeah. Um, and on my guitar, it sounded decent enough, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then free stroke, light touch, it just sang. Yeah. But I wasn't willing to change my technique. Not that I was going to buy a small one, but like say someone gave it to me. I don't think I would be willing to change the way I play. Um, also, it's scary right. thinking about how thin those soundboards are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've heard stories yeah. of people just dropping a cell phone and totally caving in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm lucky my guitar is a sturdy guitar. Yeah. It's, the back and sides are ebony. And oh, okay, it's a yeah. thick piece of ebony. The back is carved. It's it's like round. It looks like a violin or cello back. And it's carved to that shape. So it's pretty thick. It has no bracing on the back because it doesn't need it since yeah. it's already thick. And uh, the sides are double-sided. It's oh, still okay. ebony, but it's double-sided. So the back of it is like sturdy. The The front is, it's not a double top. It's single. Uh, I don't believe it's very thin. I can't really tell because it has like those the thinner tornavos. Is that mm -hmm. what it's called? Like um, It looks like a little tunnel at the sound hole. So when I look at it, it looks very thick, but it's, it's it's just the rim and uh i i did drop it by accident um and i did crack the sound pole but it the soundboard it it landed on its side nothing happened to the sides yeah but the soundboard cracked a little bit it was but pretty sturdy traumatic. it was pretty general. sturdy yeah. yeah yeah so so far other than me not latching my case uh for everyone I listening it, out there I latch your cases <laughs> I think it happens to everybody at some point. I just thought an airline would break it for me before I did. You yeah, know? right. And it's like I did, but it's repaired. It sounds exactly the same. Yeah, so. oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it, it's good to know that the airlines don't destroy it. And, and they, yeah. another, I, I love your Facebook page. You have so many great <laughs> guitar tips and, yeah. and great posts coming out. And you show these photos. When you travel, you literally travel with a single backpack yeah. in your guitar. I do. Which is crazy. I'm trying to break the stereotype that girls need a lot of things. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like the girl packs like two suitcases for a two-day vacation, right? Um, no, it's mostly for practical reasons. I'm traveling by myself. So yeah. I am the one carrying all that stuff. And the guitar is heavy enough. Um, and then for domestic flights, you usually have to pay to check a bag. Yeah. And then you worry if it's going to make it in time. So I found that for a two-day, three-day trip, I don't need that much. And I still have all the necessities. That backpack, it has CDs that would be sold after the concert. It has my concert dress. It has my concert shoes, all the makeup and jewelry and all that stuff with the footstool. And um, so it fits everything. But you can, you know, you can plan out well, yeah. pick a dress. You can fold very small. And it works. <laughs> you, you must be really good um, 
Do you know that video game? I, I forgot the name of it. When Tetris. You, yeah, are, are you a Tetris player? I was player? good at it when I was a kid, but I see, I'm very good at packing things. Yeah, I, very. I am not, as you can see over here. I can barely. You're very fit. compact. Ah. I think in some ways it's actually easier because as a guy traveling, you probably are wearing a suit, right? Um, your shoes are bigger size. Your clothes are bigger size. So in some ways, I understand how like not everyone can travel with a backpack to go to a concert. Because you need to maybe even have a suit bag to not like fold your tuxedo or whatever yeah, into yeah. small squares. <laughs> I usually just throw a jacket on, you know. And yeah, just... it depends on your personal style and how you present yourself on stage. Some people dress more casually than others. So. Yeah. And you're right. It, it is such a pain if you show up to a city, whether you got to play a concert or not. And your suitcase is not there. Yeah. yeah. Although sometimes it's nice because you can buy some free clothes yes, with the vouchers. True. But it takes some... Say, I, I swear, I, I did it once. I got a $100 voucher because mm -hmm. I had a concert. Mm -hmm. And I told them, okay, I need to buy clothes. Yeah. They gave me a $100 voucher. It took them four months to process it. You know, So eventually it came through. But also, but do you want to deal with that stress? You know, yeah. It's stressful and enough that... the seats and everything. And yeah, and you're like, I'm there to play a concert. I don't right? want I don't want to be shopping. Yeah, I don't want to worry about this. things. Yeah. Yeah, so I try to make it practical. And most of the time, most of my travel is within the United States. So I've figured out which airlines are nicer to me and which ones aren't. So far, I aim for Delta because they've been nice. Um, like just coming back from Louisville, actually, um, just right before, like I was the last person where they started checking bags mm -hmm. because I was, I don't know, third group to, to board. And they saw the guitar and the person ahead of me had to check their suitcase. And they're like, ah, oh, that's not going to fit. It's all full. I'm like, well, can I try? You know, can I ask it for the closet? And she was like a little hesitant, but they're like, why don't you try? Like, And that particular flight did not have gate, gate check service, like those pink ties. Oh, they okay. did not have that. It was going to be a check check. So it was going to be a check check, which is scary. I'm like, you know, it's kind of scary to, to check it. And they're like, why don't you try? And I walk on, on the board. The flight attendant made some room in the closet. She put in the closet and my guitar made it. You know, usually it's the it's the flight attendants who want to help you out. It's yeah. the gate agents who and don't want totally to let it go through. And they're totally independent from each yeah. other. You know, it's not, they say it doesn't fit, but the flight attendant's like, oh, it's totally going to fit. You know, so it's, yeah. It, it, it is depends a bit on of who an you odd get. setup. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's, that's good. Usually being nice helps. Um, I've never had to be aggressive. And I also am not that type of person who would. If I have to check it at the end of the day, I'll check it. Um, because it's not worth it to, I don't know, have security involved or just be that person who just makes it difficult, makes the flight late, whatever. There's you know, 200 other people on the plane who want to get home. So I wouldn't argue to that point. Um, and if they destroy it, it's insured. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like at least I, I don't want it to be destroyed. Well, well the but... trick is you got to not tell them you have the insurance, no, get the course. refund from of them course. and then... <laughs> No, well, <laughs> and in the in the the case it's soft. Like my my case is it's not a soft case, but it looks like it's a soft case. So it's uh it's more they're they're a bit more linear. Yeah, they yeah. don't see a hard case and automatically assume it's safe to check. So I've been able to get away with it. You I haven't had to check it yet. <laughs> you just never know. I, I remember Scott uh, Scott mm -hmm. Tennant was telling me this crazy story that uh, he he was trying to get his guitar on the flight but there just wasn't room and mm -hmm. they told him you got a gay check and he's yeah. reluctantly saying okay that's fine <laughs> and he's looking out the window and he literally sees one of the um um i, I forgot the name of those workers tarmac workers oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. He, he sees one of them 
take his guitar and look at his friends and do like an air guitar and starts oh driving God. away with it and Scott starts freaking out That's and he's and he's yelling at the flight attendants hey you, you gotta do something about this they're taking yeah, my guitar yeah, of and they did not believe him and then finally they radioed it in and this guy comes back with the guitar and just throws it <laughs> onto the conveyor That's belt and you can tell he was like, probably gonna take it which is like terrifying That's, to think of yeah Absolutely terrifying. But that's just, it's something you have to deal with. And yep. if you're a concertizing musician, it's it's part of it. You know, yeah. it's like you have to travel. Some people have a backup guitar they travel with. You know, you have to insure it because oh, yeah. it's just dumb not to. Um, and Regardless then you, of travel. Yeah, and then at the end of the day, you have to realize that hopefully you're not traveling with a one-of-a-kind instrument. But at the end of the day, it's an item that you are using. Yeah. Right? So... It's there to serve a purpose. I love my guitar. I really do. But if it breaks, it's not the end of the world. It's it's a piece of wood. It's a piece of wood, and like yeah. it's the it's a teamwork. It's the player and the piece of wood that creates a certain sound. But it's not the only guitar in the world. You know, you just have to kind of cut your losses yeah. financially so you could afford to get a new one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I have an attachment to mine, but it's not worth a fight at the uh, at the gate and. All sorts of other things. So speaking of all this <laughs> air travel, do you have any uh, concerts coming up? Yeah, I'm going to Florida on Wednesday um, oh, okay. Very for nice. the Guitar Extravaganza, I believe it's called. It's uh, Stephen Robinson is uh, oh, putting okay. it up at the Stetson University. So I'm playing a concert. I'm sharing it with Matt Palmer. Um, oh, that'll be fun. This is the third time we're sharing a concert, actually. Really? Yeah. Um, I, you guys should start playing duos or everyone something. Everyone says that. <laughs> but we live in different states. You know, everyone has our own... We are doing our own thing. But yeah, this is the third time we'll be sharing it. The first one was at Houston. Um, maybe you were there. I don't know. Um, in 2013, we shared a concert. And then in Appalachian State, we shared one. And this is the third time. So that's that's what's next. Um, this Basically, this coming week. Uh, and then after that, it's uh, New York. I'm playing a concert for the New York Guitar Society. New York City Guitar Society in April. And May is a little bit lighter. I don't have anything in May. And in June, I am going to Pittsburgh and to Houston again. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so that's the lineup for now. And what's on the program for these concerts? For, or is it a bit varied? No, no, it's the same. Well, for, with uh, the one with Matt Palmer, it's half a program. Mm -hmm. So, But my full program, program right now, and it has been the same for the last, I think, two years or a year and a half, two years. Um, I start with the Grand Solo by Fernando Sor and I play Aguado's arrangement so it's not it's a little bit more flurry like it's it's uh, I like it better and then Un Sueño en la Floresta and Cordoba and Sevilla that's the first half and the second half is Valses Poeticos um, Evocación y Danza um, and two La Vida uh, two, two the fire pieces La Vida Breva being the second one and the first one is from uh, El Amor Brujo quite a program I pick my favorites yeah <laughs> I pick my favorites that's awesome it, it what arrangement is it for the Granados? Granados, I'm playing Paolo Peguerraro. Okay. I, I think I messed up the uh, vowels there, but uh, Italian, I, I believe he's Italian. Yeah. I saw Marchandila play on YouTube at that arrangement, and it, in the description oh, that, okay. box, it said who the arranger was. And I liked that it seemed, first of all, that it kept the high octaves when in the, yeah. in the opening, and it seemed like playable on the guitar it didn't seem too crazy without sacrificing uh yeah and it still sounded yeah it sounded beautiful on the instrument even though it's a very piano piece um so i, I learned that one i did yeah. i changed some fingerings but i think everyone changes fingerings oh absolutely it's a it's a beautiful piece and the, i didn't realize aguado did an arrangement yeah of the the grand solo it's very 
It's more fun. Yeah. I mean, Source Source Grand Solo. I don't think I like it very much. It's it's like because if I'm correct, there are actually three publications mm -hmm. on Source front with the Grand Solo, and the yeah. first one was just tricky. Yeah. And not as guitaristic, at least to the general public at the time. And then mm -hmm. I, I forgot the name of the publisher, but they released a second publication be behind Source Back, uh -huh. which was very uh, toned down, much easier. Okay. Took out some modulations even mm -hmm. because they were basically losing business because oh, people okay. weren't coming in to buy that score anymore because yeah. <laughs> it was too hard. And Sora was furious, so then they kind of made an addition in between oh, okay. the two for the third one. That's what most people. Yeah, I wasn't played. aware of that. Yeah, the three neither ones. was I till uh, till um, Brian Brian Headshot. The first time me. I heard the Grand Solo was on Manuel Barroeco's record. Yeah, and that's how I thought it sounded. And then I took a score out and I'm looking at it and all of the fun stuff I liked about it yeah. wasn't in there. So yeah. actually the first piece I worked on with Barroeco when I was a freshman was, was that a Grand Solo. Oh, so he, he gave me the arrangement that he used. So does Aguado, at least compared to probably the third arrangement or mm -hmm. the third publication that we're used to hearing, does he, what does he add? Uh, There's to the a lot piece of more different? like, I don't remember exact differences because I did never learned the source mm -hmm. or, but just comparing the, in the, there are more arpeggios, like what Sor would have as blocked chords, or Aguado like made it arpeggiated. I think they're more flurries, flurry kind of like those runs with the slurs. I think they're a bit more complicated. Um, but I, I haven't looked at the Sor in so yeah. long that I can't like point out every single difference. It sounds more virtuosic, yeah. like when you're just listening to it. Yeah, Sor wasn't, uh, I mean, it's virtuosic writing in a sense, mm -hmm. but he wasn't so much obsessed with um, yeah. that style of writing, at least compared to Giuliani, you mm -hmm. know, so it's nice that Aguado kind of yeah. add, added some nice flourishes. To it, it sounds like it yeah. has like more energy behind it because you have more drive with the arpeggios with yeah. the separated thing rather than doing the same chord, you arpeggiate the chord. And the arpeggios for, they're using ring finger? I'm yes, actually, I I am because yeah. it's it goes across three strings. So I, instead of doubling the thumb, I do the thumb for the bass notes, and then I do I yeah. A. So it does use the ring. So finger. maybe that's yeah. why he was blocking the chords because I know Sore was very yeah, he would anti not use, ring finger, yeah. which I mean, is so weird you, to think about. I mean, it makes sense, but it's <laughs> quite we, different. We don't today. have that many fingers. It, I, it's nice to yeah use and them I'm, what we can. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a big advocate for like for all my students. I make them work on their A finger so that it's yeah. not this weakness that you have because a lot of times we avoid using it because it isn't awkward. Um, sometimes you get the you don't get the nicest sound out of it. It's it's hard to alternate M and A, and I try to make it so that there is no like weakness there. So you yeah. have more options for fingerings. Um, it's easier because you don't have to use the others as frequently because you have another member of the team. Yeah. So. And also the ring finger on the right hand carries mm -hmm. so many melodies as well. Yeah, it's under there. So if you can really develop a pretty yeah. sound out of the ring finger and use it easily, it makes it easier in some way. In the beginning, it might be hard because you can't use it. But once you learn to use it and it's an active finger that's almost the same as M and I, M and I then it's, it's another option you have. You can just throw in an A and solve a lot of awkward cross string, uh, string crossings and yeah. stuff. So. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I wonder maybe if Sorge's, his ring finger was a shorter or longer length and proportion, yeah. or if he just simply did not like it. Yeah, but, I mean, when you have one person dictating a certain kind of a 
musical, like in movement or whatever, he was sore, right? Yeah. So, but that's very individual as well. Like he probably, he could have had his own weaknesses that yeah. he customized and tailored his music to and stuff because that was the way he is. I'd say he didn't have a third finger, <laughs> let's say. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure he did, but like someone who doesn't, he will customize it to what your weakness is so that you can play your own music. Yeah. Um, but not everyone's the same, so. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's really fascinating to me thinking about how much classical guitar technique was emerging and all the debates back then, whether, oh, is it okay to use free versus rest stroke mm -hmm. and nails versus no nails and yeah. ring, for, ring finger versus mm -hmm. no ring finger. And yes, there are a couple proponents to those debates mm -hmm. these days, but nowadays... It, I think it's, yeah, it's now it's everything. People people would think, you're crazy think, if you wouldn't use your ring right. finger or and nails. And same thing for yeah. the free stroke or rest stroke. Why limit yourself to just Absolutely. one? Make it so that... I mean, I can understand like if you're trying to avoid the restaurant because you do end up changing the sound quality and you can have a big gap between going to from a free stroke to a rest stroke. It can change the volume, the fullness, but then make your free stroke sound just as good as your rest stroke and learn to control the rest stroke so you can balance them and you have access to everything. And instead of limiting, it's like, oh, no, you're not allowed to use yeah. rest stroke here and there. The other one people become obsessed with is it's um, the use of open strings. Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, totally, if uh, you have a certain beautiful melodic melody, mm -hmm. you, you might want to avoid an open string there. But in regards to some harmonies and stuff, it, it just, if the guitar resonates with mm -hmm. open strings, I, I, I usually say, just go for it. I mean, I, I remember the master class with Paul Odette. Mm -hmm. he, he kept, well, not yelling, he's such a sweet guy. And uh, Paul Odette's uh, famous lutenist, uh, professor at Eastman School of Music. But he was insistently saying, no, use open strings. Grab the resonance from the yeah. instrument. And it makes total sense because we play a quiet instrument. Mm -hmm. So if we're picking certain fingerings or closing certain chords, you know, and I it restricts. It, you get into trouble when it doesn't sound natural. Like yeah. If you had a really beautiful melody up in a higher register above the seventh fret, and then you're just throwing in this one open E string, and it changes the color, and it changes everything, then it's no longer a benefit with that added resonance is not worth the sacrifice of like the warmness you had and all of a sudden you have this bright sound coming out. But if yeah. you can control it and you have an instrument whose open E string, for example, doesn't just scream out and you can mask it and you can put the open string in there and make your fingering easier, um, then do it. It just shouldn't be obvious, yeah. you know, and so your music still flows. So I've heard you play the Vacazioni Danza, and what what a piece! And the way you play it as well, it's been a favorite of yours for a while, right? Yes, I've I've played it for a while. It's been on my program for a while, and uh, I just I can't take it off. Like every time you go around, trying thinking about what your program is going to be, and I've I've changed it around. I've taken pieces out. Some pieces I get sick of playing, and I'm like, it doesn't sound look good anymore, so I just remove it. Vacazioni Danza, I just I can't take it out yeah. same thing with like Sevilla and the barrios the Don Suenola and, and, uh, and La Floresta I, those have stayed in the program and things around it have changed um, with evocation and dance it's first of all it has a nice story it's the the fact that it's it's based on El Amor Brujo it, the evocation part like once you explain it to an audience to an, to an unexperienced audience it can sound a little bit it, it can sound difficult to listen to because it's not it has dissonances it's it's not necessarily modern, modern, but it's still on the contemporary side. It's not like playing, 
I don't know, Targa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has that <laughs> edge to it. But once you explain what it is, like the evocation, like if someone can imagine a spirit being evoked and you imagine like, I don't know, a person by the fire trying to like evoke a spirit to come back. Then when you're li they're listening to it and that intensity that builds from the harmonics all through like the dissonances, the little accented um, figures in there. And then it, it opens up with the big arpeggios and the huge, gigantic, loud like scale, the chord and the scale. And then it comes down and the dance comes in. You can really picture this imagery of a spirit being evoked, arriving, dancing. And then at the end of the piece, when everything gets quieter again, um, with an ending with the harmonics, with like the quietest, quietest possible way, they can they can imagine that. And a lot of times people have come up to me after the concert, like thanking that I have shared the story because yeah. it made them enjoy the, the piece more, um, where they might have not understood what was happening otherwise. I mean, I, I think the tremolo parts are beautiful melodies, but there are things around it that to an unexperienced ear might be like, oh, what is that? <laughs> it, it's such a brilliant and haunting piece. Yes. Yeah. Altogether. Also, it's very flamenco as well, in mm -hmm. a sense. It, it uses so many... Flamenco tech. It's kind of, it's based on what the Manuel de Falla's El Amor Brujo. There is material yeah, that he borrows yeah. it. I actually follow it from, uh, I can never remember the English version. The There's a dance I play, uh, um, no, it's, it's a song from El Amor Brujo right after Evocación de Danza that I oh, pair okay. with the La Vida Breve. I can never remember the English translation, but it uses that figure. So you can actually, the dum bum 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 that part. You can see the, how it's borrowed from Evocation and Dance. The dance, the accents. Uh, oh, it's I don't know why I never realized there it. There are parts, yeah. and you could find like in, throughout the entire uh, El Amor Brujo, like where the material is borrowed from, it changed a little bit. Obviously, it's not exactly copy, but even at the very end of Evocación y Danza, the chord transitions, they're so defia like. Yeah. Um, so when you put them back to back, it makes sense. But the flamenco, yeah, there's the rasgado section, um, the scales, I guess, but it's mostly, I guess, the rasgado that reminds you of yeah, the flamenco yeah. thing. And I, when I'm thinking about that piece, maybe, maybe I'm just a little biased because I've worked on Giacosa <laughs> quite a bit over the past <laughs> year or so. But it's in regards to at least Rodrigo's solo repertoire, there's, of course, the adagio of Iran mm -hmm. voice. I think it's one of the most kind of dark and yeah. moving solo pieces. Mm -hmm. He's written for the guitar. I mean, it, it it's such a journey, and it's not that long of a piece either it's only mm -hmm. what about seven or eight yeah, minutes yeah about eight minutes i mean it's yeah. it, it, it's not a short piece but for it, guitar it, standards it's for, not a for short guitar piece, standards yeah. it's like it's a <laughs> it's symphony now yeah <laughs> but um it it takes you on such a journey in mm -hmm. such a relatively short amount of time that's yeah just and amazing i usually gravitate towards darker sadder heavier music i'm i'm not that person i'm like the jolly happy always smiley person yeah so it's the opposite of my actual personality but the music that i like is usually sad it's usually heavier it usually has a lot of low register yeah. you know like heavy kind of loud uh lower uh basses drop d tuning drop g tuning um so that piece just has all of it. And the contrast that you have from the quietest quiet harmonics to just the, the fortissimo that you can get with the rasgado yeah. in the middle. It's more interesting that way. It, it's so interesting to me that it always seems the best repertoire mm -hmm. is very sad yeah. sounding music. <laughs> I mean, not always, but, you know, it, it's funny when I think about it. Besides Giacosa, the past year or two, that's probably the only kind of happy, jolly sounding 
piece I, I've worked on for mm-hmm. the for the solo guitar. And when I'm thinking about what I listen to on Spotify mm-hmm. and everything, a lot of it's really dark. You know, I'm yeah. kind of like you. I, I'm kind of known as more of a jolly, happy person. It, yeah, it's I interesting. I, I don't know what it is that appeals. I feel um, it's, for me, it, it strikes the emotional part almost more yeah because a happy song it has like a lot of energy into it and it can strike a happy emotion but the sad one like it depends on how you feel it can a sad song can make someone cry if they're in the right mood like something's going wrong in their life and they're also listening to a sad song it'll probably push them over the edge and actually let them emote that not that i'm crying on stage but it's more moving to me to to hear something that's larger like broader have heavier rather than a happier kind of dance yeah which yeah. i like that too but it's not it's there's a time and place for it <laughs> what i yeah like the things that i choose are usually like the 18th caprice it's so dark the the monsters caprice by tedesco the Capricho i don't think i know that one huh? number eight oh, it's okay. the most popular one it's okay. the one I, yeah sure you I'd know that one it. you know that one it's a uh, the one ty plays on in concerts a lot of people have played okay it. It's so dark. It's so like sad, and I, out of all of them, it's the one I like yeah. <laughs> because it's the sad one and kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the paintings are pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. And that that darkness is what's attractive. Yeah. I I just looked at those mm-hmm. paintings. Not not the originals. Uh, just no, but photos yeah, of the them for the first them. time. Yeah. They're, they're horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, but yeah. it makes sense with the music. It, mm-hmm. It's beautiful writing yeah. from Tedesco's part. So I'm not looking forward to the day that I have to take that piece out of my repertoire because it has to happen at some point, right? Like you can't just play the same thing for 10 years. So <laughs> we'll just, uh, you have to find a piece that's an homage to Invocazione Danza or something sadder. <laughs> yeah, or something Thank you, Gohar, for being on the show. Please join me in two weeks for a conversation with the Slovenian guitarist, Mak Gergic. We'll leave things today with Gohar's performance of Albanus's Cordoba. I'm David Steinhardt, and we'll see you next time for the Tone Bass Classical Guitar Podcast. <laughs>